as we are continuing uh, our first 15 starting tomorrow morning, Monday through Friday. It has been such an amazing experience in the Lord, just allowing him to meet us every single morning in prayer. Amen. Somebody say amen. Amen. It, it, it's just my cup of coffee. It, it, it's the ignition to my key car to, to get things started. And so if you haven't uh, had an opportunity to join us, uh, don't miss out on this time of coming together in unity and calling on God. Something happens when the church prays. Amen? Amen. Come on, everybody. Amen. I know it's been a long week. Amen. But we are gathered in this place and joining, enjoying the Lord. I want you to continue to support our midweek Bible service. Uh, Pastor Heyman is doing a powerful, dynamic series entitled The Penalty of Pride. Penalty of Pride. The Bible says uh, pride comes before the fall. Amen. 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 Now join me as we turn our attention to Mark chapter 6 and we read the following and, or then he went out from there and came to his own country. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had, had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many heard him, and they were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which he is given or given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter's son, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Josie, Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country among his own relatives and in his own household. Now he could not do many mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the village, went, went about the villages in a circuit of teaching. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, we are so grateful that we're here again today. We know that you promised, oh God, that you would meet us when we would gather together and call upon your name. The God of all creation, the God of heaven, the God who formed us from the dust of the earth, the very God who knows that we are but dirt, dust, but yet you are mindful of us. You have made us a little lower than the angels. You have crowned us with honor and glory. And Father, you have made it possible for us to enter into your courts with praises upon our lips and thanksgiving in our hearts. And God, we are eternally grateful that it is you who, who first loved us. And now we are able to love you back and we can love others in the way that you love us. Now, Father, take this time that we have together. Minister to us as only you can. We thank you and we bless you in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. How many of you know that your pastor are still challenged with technology? Very much so. So we're going to continue thanking the Lord for this day and blessing him that he never, never breaks a promise. Aren't you glad that he never breaks a promise? He never breaks a promise. I believe that most of you can see that I don't have my glasses on. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> uh, praise the Lord. This sign that I'm holding in front of you has the acronym ILAC. Somebody say ILAC. 
Uh, when you walked in the door, you should have received a heart, and I thought about the brothers and what they would be thinking, who's getting me a heart? What's going up? What's going on in this church? Oh, thank you. Hallelujah. Glory to the Lord. My eyelash needed these. The word ILAC, or the acronym ILAC, represents I am lovable and capable. I am lovable and capable. We were all born with an ILAC when the Lord declared, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. When the Lord declared that our very names are engraved on the palms of his hand, when he declared that even when your mother and your father forsake you, then I will lift you up. We are, because of him, lovable and capable. I like has to do with our self-esteem, our self-image, our self-worth, how we view ourselves how we think of ourselves. The biblical equivalent to ILAC, I believe, is in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7, when the Bible says, as a person thinks, so is he. So the way we really think about our worth and value and image is not always accurate determined by how we perform externally. We may portray confidence. We may portray a sense of high self-esteem when, in fact, our thoughts say something entirely different. As you think, not as you behave or perform, that is who you, in fact, are. Your thoughts determine your self-worth, and our self-worth is formed by the significant relationships that we had early on in our life. It is determined by psychologists that 75% of a child's personality is formed by the age of five. And so a child learns their importance and significance by the age of five. I should say actually 85% rather than 75%. When people ignore us and mistreat us or say cruel things, a piece of our eyelash is torn away. Unfortunately, this happens to most of us on a daily basis. Someone says something, or I think it's entirely rude to walk through a corridor in a public place looking at your cell phone, walking past people. That, to me, is the epitome of disregard of the value of people and, and, and the sense of the significance of the moment. But we do that a lot. We often, in our, in our significant relationships, wives, will view their value, their image, their worth by how their husband speaks to them and treats them. And it really doesn't matter what their accomplishments are if you don't have good self-image, self-worth. And I'm talking, because some people get upset when you talk about self-worth, self-image. Ah, see, you're talking about non-Christian things. No, we have value. It's okay to feel good about a, a job that you completed with excellence. It's okay to pat yourself on the back if you lose a few pounds and can, uh, uh, you, you worked hard at it or you get hired for a position that you were really praying about. There's nothing wrong with that. And so when we talk about self-worth, self-esteem, and self-image, we're talking about before Jesus and after being born into the family of God because we are crucified in Christ. Nevertheless, I live. So there's nothing wrong with having a healthy self-esteem when you are measuring your value because you recognize that we are hidden in Christ, that our significance comes from him. Somebody say amen. 
Husbands, the biggest and the strongest, some who are commanders of hundreds and thousands, will shrink in the presence of their wife if they hear harsh words after they've tried their best because they measure their worth by how their spouse treats and talks to them. The same is true of children in the area of peer relations, that how their friends feel about them, irregardless to their accomplishments, will impact how they think about themselves. And, and it doesn't matter how expensive the clothes they have on, where you've taken your children, if they have determined that they are rejected by their friends or devalued, they feel worthless. It don't matter what you say to them. It's an issue for them because they have been rejected by their peers. Now, some of you may have uh, recently read the story, as I did, about a young 10-year-old girl named Isabella from Utah. And uh, she was described by her parents, though she had autism, as pleasant and happy and very well adjusted and accepting of her condition. And, and, and just a, a, a considering her challenge, she was a well, well um, a conformed child and, and had no significant issues. But all that changed when in-person school started this year. Father, Isabella's father, noticed that she was taking Febreze to school. And when he asked his daughter why was she taking Febreze, she said, my classmates say I stink. And when they say I stink, I spray Febreze on me. She said, my classmates call me ugly. They move their seats away from me when I sit down next to them. My teacher actually told me to move my seat to the back of the room so I would not be bullied or troubled by other kids so I could find my own space. They called me the N-word, and that hurt real bad as well, and I found myself not wanting to go to school. And so her father said, We'll take care of this. Your mother and I will take care of this. So they called the teacher, and the teacher didn't return their call. Part of her eyelash. Isabella's trusting that her parents are going to be able to fix this. They're going to be able to take care of this. When the teacher didn't respond, they called the principal, and the principal referred them to the vice principal. Neither of them did anything, and still the bullying persisted. The name calling, you don't smell good, we're not sitting by you, you're ugly, you're stupid. Parents were, were determined to get a solution to the problem, so they called the, the school administration building in the office and didn't get a response, and Isabella knew about that, and there's another part of her eyelash. Then they called the superintendent of schools. And surely there would be a solution. Sure there would be an intervention. Sure someone would take charge of this and no longer allow Isabella, an autistic 10-year-old girl, to constantly be attacked. Instead, what the school district did, what the superintendent did, he wrote a letter to the parents of kids of color and said, teach your children to be less sensitive. Teach them to be less sensitive. After that final letter and that kind of the conclusion to the matter of how things were going to occur, Isabella decided she had a solution to the problem. She committed suicide. And on yesterday, her parents buried a 10-year-old girl. I want you to know that we heard when we were growing up that sticks and stones may break our bones, but names will never hurt us. That's not true. When you feel attacked, when you feel unloved and, and lacking in cap capacity or capability, it destroys our self-image. It destroys our self-esteem. It makes us feel that there's something wrong with us. It makes us withdraw. 
it can make you with rebel. And so today when we talk about silencing the other voices, one of the loudest voices that has shaped how we think of ourselves and how we go about trying to fit in and be accepted and be loved and, and look like we have accomplished something has been shaped by our relationships in childhood. Peer pressure. Now, the interesting thing is that when we talk about silencing the voice of peer pressure, we often will associate that with children. When in fact, as I've already mentioned, most of us as adults still crumble at the fear of being rejected by our peers, being left out of groups that we deem to be important, deem groups that we want to be a part of, church groups, cliques, things of that nature. Now, I want to share with you as we're getting into the message because we're going to see that Jesus understood what it felt like to hear the voice of peer rejection. Christ understood that. He experienced it. The Bible says we have not a high priest who cannot be sympathetic with our weaknesses. But Jesus was tempted in all points like we are. The difference between him and us is he was without sin. In the good news in verse 15 of Hebrews chapter 4, it says, Therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace where we can find mercy to help us in the time of need as we are going through the pressure of wanting to be loved, wanting to be accepted. Let me share seven subtle signs, subtle signs that you may be suffering from childhood rejection as an adult. You may be still going through it in your marriage, in, at work, in your personal relationships, because of what happened to you as a child. You didn't get picked for the team. You didn't get invited to the party. Nobody liked your Easter clothes, or you didn't get new Easter clothes. The nickname they gave you was not complimentary. I actually had one of my buddies, my best friend, Isaac. I'm not going to tell you his last name. He might be listening today. He was an artist, a sketch artist. And he was drawing pictures of everybody in the class. And man, he just, it was just incredible, the skill he had. So I said, hey, draw my picture, draw my picture. He said, sure. And so he sketched the picture of me. And then when he was finished, he showed it to me. All of my features, my lips, my nose, my eyes, my head, were all enlarged. And he said, well, the best part of you is your ears. Now, you may agree with them, but I want you to understand something. That was a dagger. I never forgot it. And as a teenager, as an adult, I can look back at it and say, that was cruel. But it impacted the way I thought about myself. It influenced how I thought others saw me as unattractive with exaggerated features. Some of you may have similar stories. But that type of experience in your childhood can impact how you function in relationships as an adult. Let me give you the seven subtle signs that you suffer from childhood rejection. Number one, you quickly make negative assumptions about what people are thinking in their motives. You think the worst first. <laughs> you meet somebody, what they up to, what they really want. What they really thinking, I know they up to something. So one of the subtle impacts of childhood peer rejection is quickly making negative assumptions about people, thinking the worst first. They don't like me, and if they did, if they knew me, they wouldn't. Now, you may not actually be saying those words to yourself. I often say to people, you ought to record the words you say about yourself. We say some terrible things to ourselves. 
And the question is, who told you that that makes you acceptable and lovable? And when Adam and Eve, they sent in the garden, and, 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 and the Lord said, who told you you were naked? Who told you there was something wrong with what I said is good? Here's a second subtle impact of childhood or peer rejection. We struggle, or you struggle with real intimacy. You don't know how to relax. There's some people who can't just chill. They always uptight, always on guard. Some of you call it obsessive compulsive, and you know, these are people who just have a deep insecurity for fear of rejection that they always got to have it together. You can't be off your game. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You don't feel comfortable with being transparent. You talk to people, you tell them, you pour your heart out with them, and they don't say nothing. They're looking at you like you're crazy. And I'll say in a minute, I ain't the only one, and then people will laugh, and then they don't. The people who struggle with the fear of rejection because of what you experienced as a child, you're going to have a hard time being honest with what everybody else sees it, but you just, ah, yeah, I know you think I don't have no clothes on. I'm fully clothed. No, you ain't. Here's another subtle indicator. You have difficulty compromising with people. People have to adjust to you for you to feel comfortable. You're the thermostat. You ever been around somebody, no matter, you may, be, you may be at a ball, a banquet, you may be fully tucked in a wedding, et cetera, it's a formal affair, and they still acting like they're somewhere out in the park swinging from trees. And they, oh, you up, you feeling, you acting up for these today. You, you, you acting like you somebody important. This is an important event. We don't have to act like we in the hood today. But there are people who feel like you're rejecting them unless you downsize to fit their comfort level. They have to change the environment for their comfort. And if you don't act like they think you should, then now there's an issue. Here's a fourth subtle uh, issue. You are a people pleaser. You give and you serve others to earn favor. You don't just do it out of the kindness of your heart. You just don't want them to reject you. You don't want them not to like you. So you do things that you really shouldn't do. I was just talking to somebody about Dennis Rodman. He was in town a couple weeks ago, and he was at the library, and uh, he just shared he's a broken human being, but uh, uh, he, you know, and he was just talking about what happened to him as a child. He went after the, 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 uh, the, the appearance. He went to a bar, started drinking, really got relaxed, and he took his shoes off, and he signed the shoes. To, he signed his shoes, gave them to the, the person who owned the, the, the establishment, and then he gave the guy $1,000. I hope I'm not getting in trouble by sharing all this. Maybe, maybe I said, I'll dial some of this back. My point is, then he left without any money. But the, he, he did that. Why would he do that if you're already struggling financially? You need to please people. You want to be loved, you want to be liked, and sometimes it's at your own detriment. Amen. I apologize to my brother after, I, <laughs> after the sermon. Uh, anyway, you have heard, you have a hard time telling the truth about how you really feel. You live a make-pretend life. You avoid exposing your insecurities, your fears, your doubts, your dreams. You don't tell nobody that. Nobody really knows you. Yeah, no, if they knew me, they'd use it against me. I don't want to hear it again. You ain't going to throw it up in my face. Marry, but you never take your clothes off. There are people who actually marry. You ain't never seen your, female, your, your wife's body. Like, oh, where, 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 something's here. Or your husband never takes it because there's this insecurity about, but you don't want to talk about it. We don't need to talk about that. Why, when I try to embrace you, you push away? Why don't, when we try to talk about meaningful, important things, you, you, you just shut the conversation down? Childhood peer rejection. You never feel good enough, no matter what you do. You get straight A's, you 
get the top job, et cetera. You got the job on the corner of the, of the building, and everybody looks up to you, and you, you still feel like a failure. You have the Leah complex. No matter what she did, Jacob did not love her. And here's the final thing. You have a hard time giving love and showing love. People that know you best often don't feel loved by you. You say, I love you. And they say, I don't feel loved by you. And often when, when we have been rejected as children, we only operate in giving love based on how we want to receive it, not based on how people need to, re to, to experience it. We have languages of love. But when you are bound by the hurt of childhood rejection, you can only, you got one gear. This is the way I am. This is the way it's going to be. And so if you don't feel love, it's not because I didn't buy you something. It's not because I didn't send you here. No, that, and for that person, that's not love. And so those are indications that as adults, we are not exempt from the devastation of being rejected. And because of those experiences in our past as children that we weren't protected from, and sometimes our parents said, be tough, you'll get over it. You didn't get over it. You still don't feel good about yourself. You still don't feel attractive. You still don't feel smart. You're still telling people the first thing you know, oh, if you don't see those big feet, I actually had like, I wasn't looking at your feet, but the first thing you start telling people is where you feel you're flawed. And that goes to the fact that we were never, are not affirmed enough as we were growing up in our childhood relationships. Jesus said this. This was said of Jesus. Jesus was in the world, and the world was made by him. But the world knew him not. He came unto his own. But even them, even they who he came to that were his own, they rejected Jesus. Jesus understood what it felt like to be rejected by people that matter to you, that you want to accept you, that you want to, to, to please, and yet, you didn't get it in return. That's why Christ adds in Mark chapter 6, verse 6, he says, in verse 5, he says, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And what we're going to learn from the Lord's example is how to quiet, to silence, to mute the voice of peer rejection so that we can let our guard down, so that we can be less defensive, so that you go to your grave not as a stranger to your family. The Bible says about a husband and wife that the two became one and they were unashamed. When we are afraid of being rejected, we will never expose ourselves. And so that's not God's intended plan. The Bible says he created us to give us the abundant life, the abundant life to do exceedingly and beyond what we can even comprehend. Why aren't we experiencing that? I want you to know that the devil has deceived us into thinking that we are not lovable, we're not capable, and that's a lie from the pit of hell. From the pit of hell. You know, it would be easy and great if I could just say these words today and we would be fine. But it, the wound is so deep. It's so engrafted that we, I, I never knew how to look an adult in their eye. You don't look an adult in their eye. I grew up, and that, that shows respect, but it also can teach you to be intimidated by other people because you're not in the, you, you never become an adult. So what I'm saying today, hopefully, will begin the process of breaking every chain, breaking every chain that you will walk in freedom. Now, the first thing I want to consider as Jesus was able to silence the voice of peer rejection is that peer rejection is real, but it doesn't have to be final or fatal. You're going to experience peer rejection. Everybody don't like you. The Bible says that Jesus, in verse 1 of chapter 6, and he went out from there and he came to his own country, say own country, and his disciples followed him. Now, there are different types of 
peer pressure that causes us to feel rejected. And one type of uh, peer pressure that causes fear, the, the fear of rejection is spoken peer pressure. This is when somebody directly asks you to do something or suggests persuading or otherwise directing you to behave in a certain way or action in order to be, to be accepted. Somebody specifically asks you. This is the parent who gets the call at 3 o'clock in the morning uh, from their college. Uh, someone's calling from the college. Would you come and, and, and uh, bail out your son who has been arrested for public intoxication? And the parents say, it couldn't be my son. My child doesn't, we don't have alcohol out. They never drank a drink in their life. And then when you finally get to the, down to the uh, holding cell and there it is, your son or your daughter, the question is, why did you do that? My friends ask me to. Why did you do that? Because I'm pledging. And so spoken pressure, spoken peer pressure is somebody will specifically ask you, you need, if you don't do this, you got to do this. Take this drink. Smoke this. And then to, to fit in, to conform, to be accepted, you do it. Here's another form of uh, it's unspoken pressure uh, that can lead you, if you don't conform, to feel rejected by your friend. Everybody's cussing, and they're your friends. Guess what you're going to do? They're gossiping. Guess what you're going to do? If you want to be accepted, if you want to be cool, you're going to start gossiping. You're going to be start talk, talking about stuff you don't even know. Everybody's got to, can you top this? And so there's unspoken peer pressure. And this is also in the area of keeping up with the Kardashians. You, they buy, somebody buy a car in your neighborhood, you got to get a car. Somebody uh, changes their lawn, you got to change your lawn. You know, so it's this pressure to keep up and to, to look the part. And then there's direct peer pressure, which is the hardest to resist. I remember I missed the bus going back to school, Cheney, and it was pouring down raining at 69th and Market, and a car pulls up. It was a Volkswagen, and some of my fellow students say, oh, you need I jump in. I said, sure, sure, I'm great. Thank you. I was so happy because there were no, no other buses coming. I was going to have to go back home. And now we're driving and changing. We're speeding in this uh, Volkswagen. And all of a sudden, someone pulls out a joint. Now, I'm starving. I didn't eat all day. So they're passing this joint around. <laughs> and then they hand it to me. So the pressure was, we doing this. This is direct peer pressure. I waved it off. But now I'm in the car. I might as well head. But I, was, you know, I think the Holy Ghost protected me because I was OK as far as I knew. But here's what blew me away. After they got finished smoking, then they passed this gigantic bag of chips around. Guess what? They didn't, they didn't offer me any chips. <laughs> but they offered me the marijuana. That one, that one experiment could have led me to a lifestyle. Isn't it interesting that most bad habits never start in private? Somebody got you started. Here's indirect peer pressure uh, that, that occurs. This is when you observe that there's certain behaviors in conversations on Facebook or some social media. Uh, uh, and Michael Jordan it was, it is a big example of this. He got an earring. So his popularity and power indirectly, when we saw how his, it was okay to be bald, now Michael Jordan is bald. We want to be like Mike. Uh, I don't have any problem with people getting tattoos, but get it because you want to get it, not because of the, the culture. The Bible says we're in the world, but not to be of the world. You make the decision. This, is, this means something to me. But often we are wanting to be accepted and, and loved. We will do what others do, even when it's not right for us. E oversized or, or, or medium-sized women trying to get in size twos. You don't, that ain't your size. 
If God wanted us all the same size, he would have made us that way. He didn't make you to be a copy, but an original. If you were a copy, then there would be no need for you. Peer pressure is real, but it doesn't have to be final or fatal. Now, why, why does peer pressure hurt? Why does it hurt? Uh, why? One, one reason it hurts is because the source from where it, occur, where it occurred. The Bible says that Jesus was visiting his hometown. He went back to the place where his friends and family still live. And so the reason it cuts us to our hearts is because it's from the very people that matter to us most. It wouldn't mean a thing to us if the person who is rejecting us didn't know us. Or at least it shouldn't. Some people have such bad self-esteem that they will allow strangers to wreck their day. Yeah, he didn't speak to me. I'm going home. I ain't working today. Okay. Jesus was visiting his hometown. Jesus knew his rejectors, and they thought they knew him. And here's the interesting thing about the people who know us best, our family and our friends, is that some people, they don't have a problem with who you were in the past. They're cool with that because you were doing what they did. They may not even have an issue with who you are right now because you are a co-worker. You're doing the same type of job they're doing. But their issue is who you are becoming. <laughs> you are a new creation. All of a sudden, you ain't hanging out like you used to. You ain't tasting like you used to. You ain't talking like you used to. You ain't texting like you used to. You don't feel like you got to show the world everything that you made of like you used to. And so they got a problem with who you are becoming. This, you remember the story in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17? Goliath is threatening the, the nation of Israel, and the men are trembling, and they're afraid, and they won't fight. And, and David's father sends him down to the battle. Jesse, David's a shepherd, and he's supposed to take some, some cheese and some bread to his, to his brothers and some of the troops. And so he gets down there, and Goliath comes out, you cowards, and you, he's defying God and blaspheming God. And David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? David's about 17 years old. And Eli Ab, David's oldest brother, when he heard David asking the question, said, what you doing down here? Minding our business. I know how proud you are. He just tore David apart. Now, he didn't have a problem. He said, he said, Who's keeping those sheep that you should be watching over? He had no problem with David's past. David was a shepherd. He didn't even have a problem with David's present. He was still responsible for keeping sheep. What Eli have had a problem with, David's oldest brother, is that when Samuel went to anoint the successor for Saul and seven brothers went past uh, uh, the prophet, and God said, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He chose the eighth son. He chose, he chose David. And so even though David wasn't currently king, Eliab had a problem with what David was going to become. And so people will do everything they can to shut down what you are becoming. They will withhold encouragement they will, they will accentuate your failures. They will convince you or try that you can't do it. Nobody else in our family has done it. Why do you think you any different? You will be just like your father. You will be just like your mother. They're upset about what you can become. Jesus had to deal with rejection from his own. He was from Nazareth, and that's where he visited that's why it hurts so bad. David said, if it had been my enemies, I could have handled it. If it had been someone who was conspiring against me and I knew that they were my foe, then I could have hidden. But he said, it was my familiar friends, the ones I went to church with, the ones I broke bread with, the ones I prayed with, the ones I bore my heart with, and two, they were the ones who rejected me when I needed the most. It hurts because of the source. And what's important to understand is that, 
that rejection from peers or friends and even family is not fatal, it, it, but it can be. It can be fatal. Listen to what uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13 says. Write this one down. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 13. It can be fatal, rejection from friends. It says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts character. You want to know why you are the way you are? Who are you associated with? I would like to think, almost us think, we're so original in how we are. No, we ain't. You found somebody's style that you like. And you, it ain't nothing wrong. Imitation is the highest form of flattery. It ain't nothing wrong with that. We can add our, it doesn't look like it looks on you, so that makes it unique, okay? But if you want to know why you are the way you are, who are your, who you are associated with? Listen to what Proverbs chapter, uh, 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 what it says in Proverbs, uh, uh, in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, it says, he that walks with the wise shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. It can, your association can cause fatality in your life. It's interesting that our net worth changes based on who we are networking with. Rich people don't associate it with people with, and I don't mean it in air, no, 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 no. No, they're closest friends. Got money. Who are you associated with? Unfortunately, because of our insecurities, we want to be around people that, that just like we. But the question is, where is God leading you? What is his purpose and vision for your life? And if the people that you're associated with aren't going in that direction, then you are unequally yoked in that relationship. Our lifestyle tends to mirror the people we are associated with. If you want your life to change, change your association. When you look at behavior in your children, you're trying to figure it all out, you need to find out who their associations are. Who are they connected with? How, we, could, we never sent our kids to stay in nobody's house. But everybody came and stayed at our house. I, we had no problem. I knew what was going on. We had a house full of kids all the time. But I didn't know the, I knew me, I knew my wife. Sometimes we will conveniently just send our kids off to college, off to school, Christian school. Christian what? Christian by name. The nonsense that's going on in Christian schools today will curl your hair. And, and most of it is based on systemic racism. That it's okay to mistreat people of color. It's okay to assume that because of the color of your skin, you're somehow inferior intellectually financially. I remember a student asking the question while I was at Dallas Seminary, did they have to lower the standards to allow African Americans in? He actually asked that question. Peer rejection doesn't have to be fatal. You remember the story of Barnabas and Paul? They got into this heated dispute about, about John Mark, uh, Barnabas's cousin. They were part of a missionary team and Mark got homesick. <laughs> I'm out of this. <laughs> it ain't fun. I thought, I thought being a Christian was going to be fun. I thought going on a missionary trip was like going on a, on a, on a, on a cruise. <laughs> we started missing a couple meals. <laughs> when he started getting, when he see how Paul was being treated, he said, uh-oh, see you, but I hate to be you. He, he, he got off the bus. And then he decided, ah, I guess I want to join again. And Paul said, no way, Jose. You ain't becoming a part of this thing. You done. You fired. You out! I can hear Barnabas said, well, when you were out, nobody wanted to give you a chance. Guess who gave you a chance? I was the one who discipled you. I was the one who put my reputation online. I was the one that was there for you. And here you are because John Mark made one mistake. Now you are exiting him out. And Paul said, that's right. No, and I ain't changing my mind. The, the argument in, in Acts chapter 15 got so strong between the two that they actually separated. And Barnabas was replaced by, by Silas who became Paul's primary uh, partner in the ministry. But it was an argument over John Mark. As far as Paul was concerned, this dude is a loser. He's a quitter. He's finished. I'm done with him. When Paul is dying 
in Rome, his body, he said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought the good fight. I run, the good, I run my race. I've kept the faith. And then one of the things he said, please send John Mark, for he's worthy of ministry. <laughs> and so somebody might reject you because you needed to be rejected at the time. The Bible says, pay for the wounds of a friend. Somebody needs to tell you the truth. You lazy. You're a procrastinator. You are an excuse maker. You, are, you have a victim's mentality. You blame everybody. Somebody needs to tell you the truth. I ain't going to be their friend no more, okay? But by the time you finally get it, then you'll be useful for ministry. The Bible says that Jesus is the vine. We are the branches, but the Father cuts away. He prunes. There's some things that need to be cut away. There's some things that need to be burned. There's some things that are not honoring to God. There's somebody who loves you enough. Peer rejection attacks your self-worth. That's why it hurts so bad. It attacks your self-worth. Here's what's interesting about Jesus' experience. They accepted his gifts. His teaching, his wisdom, his miracles astonished them. They were remarkable. Listen to what they said. When, he, when, he, when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They were astonished. Where did this man get these things? And they asked, and what the, what's this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? The people had no problem accepting Jesus' gifts. They rejected him. They're people that will use you and get whatever they can, but they will reject you. They said, he's Mary's son. We all know the story of Mary, how she got pregnant before she married Joseph. This dude is illegitimate. He was, in, in fact, Joseph almost divorced Mary before they got married. This is Mary's son. So they accepted the gift. You give them some money. They'll take your money. <laughs> but then they talk about you. <laughs> but they rejected the person. There are people who will, and I tell young ladies this all the time, you want to know if he accepts you? If you're having sex with him, stop. Say, we're just going to talk from now on. See how long the relationship lasts. It, it, it will end pretty quickly. They will use you and let you go. If you allow them, they'll, they'll accept your gifts, but they will reject you. That's what they did. They rejected him. They rejected Jesus. They rejected Jesus. Somebody say amen. They rejected him because of his position. He's a carpenter's son. Some people will reject you because of your status in society. You're a carpenter's son. My dad's an attorney. My dad owns his own business. We live here. You live there. We wear these kind of clothes. They rejected Jesus because of his position in society. You're the carpenter's son. You're this color. You, you are this gender. You're not a man, you're a woman, or you're a child. And the Bible says that a little child shall lead them. And so a child got something to say. We, we better be listening up. Somebody say amen. They will reject you because of your past. This is Mary's son, Mary's son. <laughs> little, little, illegitimate Jesus. Yeah, we know the story. Remember a young lady, uh, just top of her class. Most likely to succeed, she was chosen by her peers. She got pregnant outside of wedlock while in the 12th grade preparing to go to college with full scholarship. And her parents were so embarrassed and angry, they put her out pregnant. They were, they were just ashamed that their daughter would humiliate them like that. The church was embarrassed. She didn't feel comfortable at church anymore. Her friends uh, made, made fun of her. Yeah, Mrs. Goody teaches. You always thought you were better than us, and now look at you. This young lady ended up having to fend for herself, pregnant, 
and humiliated. Guess what she did? She got a full-time job and went to school at night, never missed a day of work or school, had that baby, went to college with full honors and, and, and scholarship, graduated at the top of her class, and that girl's a pharmacist today. I want you to know that, that, that rejection doesn't have to be final, but you can't allow people to hold your past against you to prevent you from becoming all that God wants you to be. Somebody say amen. And sometimes people aren't going to just stand in front of you and say things. You just, you hear their, you hear their voice when you are the most afraid, when you are faced with new challenges to do something that's not comfortable for you, that you are totally capable of doing, but because you were taught that you shouldn't try anything that you might fail, you don't do it. You don't take chances. You don't take risks. You might not look good. You might look, people might see you differently. They also rejected Jesus because of his plainness. His brothers and sisters are among us. They're just like us. And the Bible says they were offended. They were offended. They were offended. They were offended. Some people, you know, we, we respond to flash and glare, bling. I keep talking about I got to get me a couple of diamond rings, put some gold up in my mouth, put a ring on each of my fingers, get me a couple of yellow suits and iron suits and lime, pack the church out. Jesus was too ordinary. He didn't stand out. He just fit in. That's why if he came to church today, many of us would miss him. Who has believed the Lord's report? He was despised and rejected. He was not recognizable based on our image of what Jesus would look like. It's often not the Jesus of the Bible. They rejected him because of his plainness. They rejected him because of his past. They rejected Jesus because of his position. Let me hurry up and finish. Rejection does not determine your value. Your peer rejection does not determine your value. Jesus knew who he was in spite of how they, what they said about him and how they treated him, how they were offended. He said, a prophet is without honor. It has honor everywhere else but seven. Jesus still knew he was a prophet. People may never applaud you. They may never acknowledge what you do. But that doesn't make you any less than the jewel of God's eye. And so you need to know who you is. Jesus knew who he was in spite of what they said. Jesus also knew what he could do. The Bible says he laid hands on a few sick people and he healed them. And that's all he did. Now, here's what's deep about why he laid hands on a few things. Jesus knew his gifts. He knew his assignment. Do you? Do you know your gifts? Do you know your assignment? Do you know what you're capable of doing? Maybe the reason you're not succeeding is because you're trying to fly a plane and you don't know how to ride a bike. You're trying to sing a solo when you should be singing solo that nobody could ever hear you. Oh, that's so cruel. No, it's not cruel. You ain't going to go buy somebody's record that can't sing. You ain't being cruel. You being wise. Why would you waste your money on something that you'll never listen to? Jesus knew what he could do. Jesus refused to try to convince his enemies about his power. He, the Bible said he did few miracles. And here's what's interesting. He is the miracle worker. <laughs> He can do anything but fail, but he did few miracles there. There's a time when you don't need to tap dance for people. You don't need to pay for everybody's lunch to feel like, yeah, yeah, go get them to accept you. He said, I ain't going to try to impress you. You just don't get me. Jesus knew who was the problem. The Bible said, or what was the problem? They didn't believe. <laughs> He wasn't the issue. They didn't believe. I'm talking about Jesus now. They did not believe. And because of their unbelief, he could not do. Sometimes because of how we feel about ourselves, the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth, cannot do many miracles in our life because of our unbelief. 
We believed in what people had said rather than what the Lord had said. Jesus, what he did when they didn't believe and he didn't, couldn't do many miracles, Jesus just went to the next town and, and, he, and, he, and he did many miracles. Just kick the dirt off your feet. If they don't receive you, if they don't accept you, if they treat you as unlovable and incapable, just go to the next town. I ain't telling you to leave your husband. I ain't telling you to leave your family. I'm simply saying you need to make a transition in your brain. That I moved on to other things. I'm going to serve the Lord in a different way. But I'm going to accomplish the purpose. Now, how do you defeat peer pressure? Let me finish with this. The first way to defeat it is expect it. Everybody ain't, don't like you. They don't even know you. I talked to a guy, one of my best friends from South Africa. Loved his brother. We got to talking, and he said to me, he said, I could never be attracted to a black woman. And I got real graphic. I said, suppose a woman took all her clothes off. and <laughs> He said, it would not make me in any way be interested. And I was just astonished by that. And then I went on. But then I remember, at that time, South Africa was an apartheid community. Black people were considered, dark, dark and people were considered less than human. So he was raised thinking that way. And so there are people who were raised and so shaped in their minds about other people that they don't even know that they're going to treat you a certain way. You never did anything to them. So expect it. Are you with me? Refuse to curse what God has blessed in the lives of others. Sometimes we don't understand why this person's theology is not what it should be. They don't say it right. And they got the biggest this and the biggest that. And, they, and people's lives are being changed. It's so easy to point the finger and be critical and tear people apart. And if you, if you have a critical spirit of tearing people apart, guess what? When you stand before people, what voice you're going to hear is the voice of criticism. And it's going to, it's going to boomerang. So what God is blessing, don't you curse. Don't you curse. Consider the source and the substance. And here's what I mean by that. Is it true? What somebody's saying about you, is it true? Then is I, do I like it? No, is it true? If it's true, then okay. Accept it and, 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 and adopt it. If it's not true, reject it. Refuse to be the victim. Go to the next town. Jesus went to the next town. Finally, remember, God will never reject you. You are, you are accepted in the beloved. The Lord will never reject you. The problem is we're looking for people to fulfill our deepest need. There's a need until you learn how to allow the Lord to love you. You're not ready to be loved by anybody else. A man, a woman, you can go get a dog too. That dog don't know any better. That's what the dog do. Dog may be your best friend, but he ain't human. If he was human, he would tell you change. <laughs> dog say, don't touch me today. I'm mad. Dog don't have no choice. You feed that dog. You clothe that dog. Remember, Jesus will never reject you. Some years ago, as we stand, a very popular speaker was giving a lecture about self-worth, self-esteem. And he took out a $20 bill. And I was going to do it too, but I don't have money <laughs> today. And he asked the question, how many of you would like to have my $20 bill? And everybody in the audience raised their hand. Back then, my $20 was meant something. <laughs> And then he took the $20 bill and he crumbled it. How many of you still would like my $20 bill? All the hands went back up. Then he took the $20 bill and dropped it on the ground. How many of you would like my $20 bill now that it's dirty because it's on the ground? Everybody raised their hand. Then he took the, I ain't doing it myself, but he took the $20 bill and he took his heel and he rubbed it into the ground. And, and he turned it all around, and then he picked it up, and he squeezed it and everything. He actually tore it in half. 
He said, how many want the $20 bill? Most people still raise their hand. Why? Because the value of the $20 bill didn't change because how it was treated. I don't care what you've been through and what people have said about you and how you've been treated or how you even think about yourself. Your value doesn't diminish because God has created you to be lovable and capable. And everything, he said, I have created you unto good work. Everything that I designed you to do, I've empowered you to do. We need to trust him. If he said I can walk on water, I'm going to walk on water. I may not have done it before. I may be uncomfortable. I may be, my knees may be knocking. I'm going to start to step in. If he told me, we need to trust the Lord to do things that he's told us to do. But we've been afraid for fear of rejection. I'm going to be known. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to be a fake. I'm not going to pretend that I have it all together. I'm going to learn how to laugh at myself. I'm going to learn to get closer to the people that love me. And I will love them back the way they need to be loved. I am going to silence the voice of peer rejection. Amen. Mm-hmm.